By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. And a very warm welcome to another episode of Emerging Markets Decoded, the podcast that tackles the latest trends shaping the world of emerging markets. I'm your host for today, Ariane Ortiz Bolin, from Moody's Global Emerging Markets Team, coming to you from New York. Today, we'll discuss key credit trends impacting Latin American companies and financial institutions. While the strong recovery in commodity prices benefits most of Latin America, political risks have risen creating an uncertain or even difficult operating environment. The economic recovery has also been uneven, with several waves of coronavirus outbreaks and lagging vaccinations leading to intermittent economic closures. At the same time, companies and banks will have to deal with higher inflation and tighter financial conditions. Now, what impact will all of this have on Latin American companies and financial institutions? And let's not forget that all of this is happening in the context of environmental, social, and governance considerations becoming increasingly important elements in assessing their credit quality. What are some of the most pressing ESG issues affecting the region? For insight on these credit trends and more, I'm joined by my colleagues Barbara Matos from our corporate finance team and Farouk Khan from our financial institutions team, both joining us from Sao Paulo. Barbara, Farouk, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ariane. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me here today, Ariane. Now, Barbara, let's start with you. Could you first briefly explain what's behind the recent rise in commodity prices? Are we entering a new super cycle period? We don't see the recent increase in commodity prices as a new super cycle. It's rather a combination of tight supply somewhat related to restrictions imposed by COVID and rapid demand growth as the recovery of global economies has led to a rebound in demand, which supported higher prices across different commodities, including mining, oil and gas, agriculture, protein, and prices for some of these commodities have come close to record high levels. For example, iron ore, copper, corn, which has led to the perception of a super cycle. We have actually revised up our medium-term price assumptions for all metals and mining commodities in June. And more recently, we have increased our medium-term oil price range back to the level we had before the coronavirus pandemic. So broadly speaking, our view is that commodity prices will remain at high levels through early 22 and will moderate over time as we see a balance between supply and demand supported by lower GDP growth rates in 2022 compared to 2021. Okay, so very clear. Moody's doesn't think that we're entering a super cycle period, but higher commodity prices are here to stay at least until 2023. Now, how are higher commodity prices impacting corporate credit quality? Well, higher commodity prices will certainly improve cash flow generation for commodity producers and support stronger liquidity, lower leverage for these companies. In Brazil, we could mention some companies that will benefit, for example, Petrobras, petrochemical producer Braskem, CSN, Steelmaker. 
and mining companies such as Suzano, Vale, and of course, protein producers such as JBS and others. We see a similar situation for copper and pulp producers in Chile, for example, Codelco, CMPC, Arauco, companies like Southern Copper in Mexico and Peru as well. And I can also mention Argentina, where we have seen above average prices for soybeans supporting growth and investment for the agribusiness industry in the country. So it's clear that higher commodity prices are supportive of corporate credit quality. Now, changing topic, Barbara, we've seen rising political risk in the last few years in countries like Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, Chile, and Peru, just to name a few. While the nature of these risks vary depending on the country, we could say that for companies, higher political risks mean higher risk of shifting policies, different policy priorities, or changes in the regulatory environment, which could then hinder investment prospects. To dive into just one example, Barbara, could you elaborate on how this is affecting mining producers in the Latin American region? Yes, let me focus on Peru and Chile, which are large mining producers in Latin America and probably the ones most unsettled from a political standpoint. Just to put in perspective, mining accounts for about 9 to 10% of the GDP of these countries and generate about 50% of exports in Chile, 60% in Peru. And very importantly, mining is a key industry for foreign direct investments in both countries. In Peru, we have a recently elected government. In Chile, there will be presidential elections later this year, a new constitution being drafted. And given this changing political environment, we see challenges for the mining industry related to, for example, the possibility of higher taxes, social demands playing a larger role in licensing processes, more demanding labor negotiations, all that happening in a context of higher commodity prices. But remember, Peru and Chile together account for 40% of global copper production. Peru holds important positions in global zinc and silver production as well. And even though we see challenges ahead, we believe that any changes will still support the mining industry competitiveness and private investments in both Chile and in Peru. Now, Farouk, let's bring you in. Can you comment on how political risks are affecting financial institutions in the region? In general, political risks tend to have indirect effects on banks uh, through their transition into lower business and consumer confidence, which in turn can negatively affect investment and then subsequently economic growth. And I think that's something we've seen in the region before in recent years in Mexico and also in Argentina. Just thinking about Brazil in particular, I think that the possibility of direct political interference in the banking system is now limited and has reduced in the last few years and that we don't have some of the distortions that we used to have, say, 10 years ago. I think the central bank being independent now is important. And perhaps the most important thing is that state-owned bank directors can't be directly appointed based on political motives anymore. They need to have the central bank approving their directorship. I think these are the factors that are most important when we think about what's happened in Brazil. Having said that, though, in the region, we can see some direct effects coming from political risk, though. And I think a good example is Peru, which had quite a fractious presidential election earlier this year. It's a dual currency system. And we saw some shifts away from the domestic currency, the SOL, into dollars during the election process. However, that has reverted since then. And we haven't seen any lasting effect on banks in terms of currency mismatch between assets and liabilities. 
To sum up, political risk impact Latin American banks mostly through indirect channels, right, Farouk, via lower investment and lower growth. But it's interesting what you mentioned that for Brazil, that if we take a historical perspective, political risks for banks have decreased, not increased. Now, let's turn to inflation. Inflation has been on the rise, and as a result, central banks have reacted by hiking their policy interest rates, leading to tighter financial conditions. Barbara, how is this impacting corporate credit quality? Higher inflation affects Latin American economies and corporates in different degrees. Currently, it's more relevant for countries such as Argentina and Brazil. In Argentina, we see inflation rates at 50% this year, 40% next year, and some companies are struggling to pass through higher costs to prices or facing some type of price control or are freezing tariffs as we saw with telecom providers last year, for example. In Brazil, higher inflation, higher interest rates limit disposable income with clear implications for consumer-related sectors. They also increase financing costs to corporates and infrastructure companies, in particular those which have debt costs tied to consumer price indices or interest rates. I would say, though, that the major concern we have is for companies with tight liquidity positions. But on an aggregate level, we see refinancing needs starting to increase next year and becoming more significant only beyond 2022. And what about for banks, Farouk? High inflation has led to higher rates. I mean, if, if, if we look at Brazil, rates are now 6.25%. They were 2% earlier on the year. Now, how does that affect the banks here? I mean, it immediately raises their funding costs. They predominantly deposit funding and deposit rates move in line with the official rates. And I think the key question is that it remains unclear how banks will be able to pass on rate rises to their lending operations to protect their profitability. It basically comes down to how loan demand and loan growth will react. We're in a situation um, in Brazil where household indebtedness is at record levels and unemployment remains high, not only in Brazil, but also across the region. Higher rates can also lead to an impairment in credit quality. And regarding this particular point, it's important to remember that banks are very well provisioned in the region. And this is a strong buffer against any problem loan development that we could see going forward. Ultimately, it's going to be the strength of the post-pandemic recovery that's going to be the main driver of how loan growth performs and how subsequently this translates into, say, higher margins and stronger profitability for Latin American banks that have traditionally been among some of the most profitable in the world. So now, Barbara Farouk, I'd like to end our discussion with the topic of carbon transition, which is an increasingly important ESG credit consideration worldwide. Companies and financial institutions face mounting pressure to lower their carbon emissions, and their cost of capital may increase as a result of this if they fail to do so. Barbara, would you say that this is the key ESG challenge affecting Latin American companies and infrastructure issuers? And if so, how are they responding? Carbon transition is certainly a key ESG challenge across Latin American corporates and infrastructure sectors. In this regard, one country that seems to be more advanced is Chile which has aggressive renewables and carbon reduction targets with plans to cut carbon emissions by 30% by year 2030 from 2007 levels. And just to put it in perspective, solar and wind generation represented 22% of Chile's total power generation capacity last year, up from 8% in 2015. So there has been some progress already. But other countries are in different stages. For example, in Mexico, 
lower investments are leaving the country behind in the pace of decarbonization of its energy matrix. And when we look at other sectors, oil and gas is one of the more exposed. But because most oil and gas companies in Latin America are largely controlled by national governments, the sector is unlikely to face as much pressure to transition quickly as compared with private companies. Still, we see some players in the region already adopting measures towards decarbonization. And while the pressure to decarbonize most likely creates challenges for many of the companies that have not been able to comply with this, it must also create some opportunities for companies that are seeking to do greener or renewable energy. How does that play out across sectors in corporates? There are some opportunities for industries in Latin America, for example, forest products in Brazil and Chile, sugar and ethanol, mostly in Brazil, and and even mining. When we consider that producers of, of copper and lithium, for example, in Chile, but also Peru and even Bolivia, will benefit from higher or incremental demand for electric vehicle batteries and infrastructure. Now, let's turn back to you, Farouk. How exposed are banks to environmental risks? And could we focus on Brazil? Because Brazil experienced one of its worst droughts on record this year. How are droughts impacting Brazilian banks? For financial institutions globally and also in the region, we probably see a low risk of physical climate events having an effect on banks. But that doesn't mean that we can't see challenges for banks that are more heavily focused on agriculture and agribusiness lending. So thinking about the drought that you mentioned, Ariane, I mean, droughts inevitably affect production, which reduces cash flow and liquidity at a borrower, and that affects the borrower's repayment capacity. An important fact here in Brazil is that there's a a lot of use of insurance against physical climate events that can affect the level of a harvest. And also there's subsidized lending through a state-run equalization program. That can help credit quality and also the rising commodity prices can also help to offset some of these events. And I think we can see these effects in the numbers. If we look at problem loans for agricultural lending in Brazil, they're well below that of the system. As of June, they were at 1.1% versus system levels of around 2.3%. And then another key factor here in Brazil, the banks are very well diversified. So we really haven't seen a large spike in problem loans coming directly from the drought that we see in Brazil in 2021. Just to finish on a regulatory perspective, the central bank is also paying attention to this. And in September, it announced that it introduced a new set of rules for financial institutions requiring them to incorporate climate change risk when they stress their loan books. And they'll have to publish this information in their results starting in June 2022. So I think it's safe to say that regulators most certainly are paying attention to physical climate risks and what their potential effects can be on banks in the region. Barbara, Farouk, we've covered a lot of ground. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. You're welcome, Ariane. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here today. And for those interested in keeping up to speed with our latest views across all emerging markets, you can visit our dedicated Emerging Markets website for the latest research, podcasts, and interactive webinars at moody's.com slash emerging markets. You can also subscribe to Moody's Talks Emerging Markets Decoded on your favorite podcast channels, including Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. And please do share your reviews and feedback for future episodes. Until next time, stay safe and thanks for joining us.